welcome back to Grim. Unfortunately, it's just me this week. Maddie's out sick, but hopefully she'll be back next week for for a little supernatural story. Um, this week we've got a true crime from America for you all. And while I do know that the true crime stories we've covered in the past have have been sometimes a little bit much, this one is I think one of the worst that I've encountered. So bear with me. It is a hard case to listen to, but. We hope you can learn something from it, and we hope that the victims and their families are able to find some peace. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I'm Sonia, and welcome to Grimm. starts on April 22nd, 1974, where three men, Pierre, Andrews, and Roberts, their surnames, and three other men, so six men in total, drove in two vans to the hi-fi shop at 2323 Washington Boulevard in Utah. Now, this was just before the store was closing, so three of the men entered the shop with their handguns, while Roberts and another man remained in the vehicles, kind of as a getaway driver. There were two employees in the store at the time. These were 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Michelle Ansley. They were taken hostage by these men. And by that, I mean that Pierre and Andrews basically took them into the basement and tied them up there. Now, this was a planned robbery. So they ended up robbing the store as a robbery goes, but unfortunately what happened to Stanley Walker and Michelle Ansley, it did happen, and it is very, very unfortunate. Later on in the night, 16-year-old Courtney Nasbitt came to the store, and I think he basically wanted to thank Stanley Walker for letting him park his car in the store's parking lot because he needed to run an errand next door, and I assume there wasn't parking there he ended up parking in the parking lot of the hi-fi store and um, came back before these before these um, robberies happened unfortunately he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he was also taken hostage and tied up in the basement with the other two employees but the thing about taking people hostage is that they usually have someone out there who'd be worried about them if they didn't come home and that was what happened for Stanley Walker His 43-year-old father, Oren Walker, got really worried about his son. So he did the logical thing that a parent would do, and he went to the store to have a look. Um, And Courtney Nesbitt's mother, Carol Peterson Nesbitt, went to the parking lot to look for him because he didn't come home either. The logical thing for them to do then is to go into the store, so they did. And unfortunately, they were also taken hostage at gunpoint. At this time, it was quite late in the evening, and the men had five hostages in the basement. What ended up happening next is horrifying. Pierre ended up telling Andrews to get a bottle of Drano drain cleaner from the van, which he did. And then Pierre told Oren Walker to make the other hostages drink it, 
He refused to do that, so they gagged him and left him face down on the floor. I really just don't know what they could have possibly been thinking when they forced the other four to drink it, but they did. And I think it was that it, they told the other hostages that it was just vodka and sleeping pills. But the fact that when you drink something like Drano, you get blisters, burned tongues, burnt throats, skin peeling from around their mouths, that kind of made it clear that it wasn't vodka. Um, and it just sounds like such an incredibly, incredibly painful and torturous thing to do to another human being. Oren later said that Michelle Ansley begged for her life when they made her drink it, and even though she coughed less than the others, it doesn't take away the fact that she must have been so scared. They all must have been so scared in that moment. Then these horrible, horrible men duct taped their mouths closed so they were forced to swallow it and muffle their screaming. I believe that, as mentioned before, the blisters around their mouths kind of prevented the tape from sticking, but I just can't even imagine what they must have been going through in that moment. Um, Warren Walker was the last person that they made drink the Drano, and um, he somehow avoided drinking it but, like, mimicked the others. Um, I think the, like, convulsions and, and stuff like that. Um, so they thought that he did drink it, and that, I think in that moment, that probably saved his life. Um, I believe that in an effort to, you know, have this robbery go off and, and not leave any witnesses behind was the reason that they decided to um, kill them all. to Michelle Hensley was even worse, if it could even possibly get worse than that. Um, Pierre took her to the corner of the basement where he forced her at gunpoint to take off all her clothes. He then told Andrews to leave while he repeatedly raped her. Um, and then in some other sick, twisted power move of his, he told her to use the bathroom while he watched then dragged her back to the others and shot her in the back of the head. According to Orrin Walker, um, her last words were, I'm too young to die. When the men noticed that Orrin was alive, they tried to strangle him with a wire around his throat, and again, this didn't work, so they put a ballpoint pen in his ear and stomped on it until it broke his eardrum, shattered, and then 
pain at his throat. The men then went upstairs and finished taking everything from the store when they just decided to leave after that. They left all of the victims and just just went. Um, the bodies were discovered almost three hours later when Oren Walker's wife and other son came into the store looking for them. His son heard noises coming from the basement and broke down the back door, and then his mother called the police simultaneously, but it was a bit too late, unfortunately. Um, apparently, after the news broke, an anonymous Air Force employee called the police and told them that Andrews, who worked at the Air Force base, confided to him months earlier and basically said that, he said, um, Quote, one of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill them, end quote. So I suppose that would be motive, but um, that's still just thinking about the fact that another human being would do this to someone is just horrifying. Um, hours later, they were still trying to do an investigation, but um, there were two boys who were dumpster diving near the base where they found, they ended up finding the victim's wallets and purses and recognized their pictures um, on the driver's license. So they called the police, they brought a lot of people to that scene, and um, I guess that's where, that's where it all started to um, come together for the police and they were able to find the men who did this. There was a detective who responded to the scene, and he believed that, I guess it was because of the nature of the crime, and I know that in Criminal Minds, we talk about this, honestly, I'm not sure how factual it is, but a lot of the times, you know, you'll get a case where the um, perpetrator or um, killer will want to be a part of the investigation, so if there's like a search party or something like that, the police always um, kind of take a closer look at the people who might be a suspect from that pool, so... Um, I'm thinking maybe it would be something of the same thing in this case. Um, so he believed that the killers might be in the crowd when, you know, going through this dumpster diving um, scene. And he decided that he wanted to find out who did it. So he did this whole thing. One of the articles I read described it as like him putting on a show where he waved each piece of evidence in the air with tongs as he, you know, removed it from the dumpster. And later he noticed that most of the people in this audience kind of were in a state of stunned silence because that's the normal response to know that one of your co-workers brutally murdered um, murdered and tortured five people. But um, there were two men who were later identified as Pierre and Andrews who were Agitated, They were pacing around the crowd. They were speaking loudly, making frantic gestures with their hands. And that all kind of tipped the police off to maybe they were, they had something to do with it. Along with the anonymous tip, you know, that said that they were planning a robbery at this specific store. So, um, they put out a search warrant for their, the beds. I believe, like, barracks is what it would be in army terms. They put out a search warrant for them and found flyers for the hi-fi shop as well as this, like, contract to 
for a storage unit, like a rental, um, renting a storage unit contract at a nearby public storage facility. So they issued another search warrant for this storage unit where they found stereo equipment that was from the hi-fi shop, and then I believe they also found a half-empty bottle of Drano. Um, Later, they realized that Roberts was part of the plan, and they arrested him as well, that just he was in the getaway van, so not fully um, part of the murders, but part of the getaway van. And unfortunately, they were not able to identify or convict any of the other men involved. But they do know that there were other men involved um, besides the besides Pierre Andrews and Roberts. Um, yeah, that was kind of a bit about the story behind the murders and what kind of happened afterwards in terms of the perpetrators. But three of the five died that night in in the hi-fi store. Um, Sherry Michelle Ansley was just 18 years old and had only been hired a week before all this happened. Um, and Carol Nisbet was taken to the hospital, but she died from her injuries before she even got there and was pronounced dead on arrival. Stanley Walker also died in the store, and I can't imagine how traumatizing that was for their families, for them in the moments before. It just is a horrible, horrible situation. Um, Courtney Nesbitt was only 16, and he was a student at the local high school. He was taken to the hospital afterwards, and he ended up staying there for 266 days before being released. He did survive the torture that he went through, but he suffered from amnesia and severe and irreparable brain damage, Um, and I don't really blame him for that. I think going through a trauma like that, the only thing you'd want to do is forget. going back to school about a year later and graduated in 1976, but he did suffer traumatic brain damage. He was shot in the head, and I think that caused some severe and irreparable damage to his brain. He unfortunately was forced to drop out of college because of this, and he suffered from chronic pain for the rest of his life. Courtney died on June 4th, 2002. also survived the attack. He had severe burns on his chin and mouth and extensive damage to his ear from the torture, Um, but he was lucid and was able to testify at the trial, and honestly, I think he is why we know what happened there that night. Um, He died on February 13th, 2000. After the trial, when they had arrested Pierre, Andrews, and and Roberts, um, they were all convicted. While Pierre and Andrews were convicted of all charges, which was, I think it was like first-degree murder and robbery, um, Roberts was only convicted of of robbery because he wasn't in the store, he wasn't part of the murders, he was just 
driving the car. Um, four days later, Pierre and Andrews were sentenced to death, and Roberts was sentenced to five years to life imprisonment. He ended up being paroled in 1987. Um, at the trial, they did reveal this whole situation where Andrews had made plans, and Pierre was part of those plans to rob the store with the intention of killing anyone they came across. Um, I guess it kind of happened, they were watching this movie, Magnum Force, and in the movie, someone drinks Drano and then immediately dies. So they thought that that would be a good method for them to use somehow. Um, so they decided to do that, and of course, when that didn't go according to plan, they ended up shooting um, the other hostages. So, like I said, this was this was a horrible, horrible case. Um, it was probably one of the worst that I researched, but I think when we think about true crime, it's, for me personally, it's about learning from what happened. Um, I don't think there's any way to be prepared in this case, but um, just knowing what's out there sometimes, I think can be what you need to hear. Um, knowing that this happened to people is horrifying. It's absolutely horrific. And um, I think I just really hope that the victims involved and their families have found some way to find peace after all of it. this part of the case is that this case sparked a lot of, not controversy per se, but it really started a whole conversation about the treatment of black people in America versus white people in America. Now, I didn't talk about the fact that any of the perpetrators were people of color, but they were, um, and they got the death sentence, the death penalty, um, so a lot of civil rights activists and as well as the NAACP, they had an issue with Andrew's sentence and Pierre's sentence because they said that, you know, white criminals who had done the same or worse had received lesser sentences than these men. And they did say that the only reason that these sentences were immediately to a death penalty was because they were black. Um, Stephen Hawkins, Hawkins, who was a lawyer for the NAACP, and who worked on Andrew's case stated, quote, I've never seen such a raw case of racism, end quote. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't able to stop anything, and Andrew's was executed on schedule by lethal injection. Um, after this all happened, racism just got a lot worse in Utah, especially some, race, some residents said that there was a lot more racial profiling after this event, and even when the police were looking for them, when they were still um, not in police custody, they would apparently just pull over everyone who had more than one black person in the car. Um, so this case was really horrible in a lot of ways. And to everyone out there who had to experience increased racial profiling, of course, the system is incredibly flawed as it is, but... I like to think that we've gotten just a little bit better um, over the years. 
honestly I don't even know if that's true anymore considering all that happened this year and last but um, again I just really hope that they've been able to find some peace and um, that is unfortunately all I have to say there was no real conclusion to the um, racism at the end of this case that doesn't mean to say that I don't think that they weren't bad people I do think that the whole thing that happened here was just so wrong on so many levels and that it shouldn't have happened they shouldn't have done that Um, yeah I think this case was a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be I read the Wikipedia article first and I thought oh you know this seems like a short case it seems like it could be easy to do when Maddie's not here but it it turned out to be a lot more than I bargained for um but I hope you I don't want to say enjoyed (laughs) I hope you learned something from this and I hope that talking about it and saying what happened kind of keeps the people involved alive Orin and Stanley and Casey Carol and Michelle hopefully it keeps them alive and in our thoughts it doesn't really feel right doing a life update right now without Maddie, but I will leave you with that, and hopefully next week we will see a bit more of Maddie in a less a less stressful paranormal story. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>